Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of First Peter, chapter 5. We're taking a break from our study in the book of Romans, where we have been for some time. And uh, we're thinking about things with church governance and structure, about the church body itself, leadership within the body, within aspects of the body and the ministries of the church. And um, we're using First Peter chapter 5 as a basis or foundation for going into this study, and uh, we'll be talking about a lot of different things today with the structure of the church. Um, My prayer is that God is using this to be glorified in His church here as we seek to lay good foundations for the future and for what the Lord will do for us and for Himself um, here from this place. Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer, and then we'll look into the verses today. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you will be glorified, that you have been glorified by your Son. Lord Jesus, you said that on the night of your betrayal in John 17. I have glorified you, Father, on the earth. I have fulfilled that which you sent me to do. That, Lord Jesus, you glorified your Father because you fulfilled the mission that you were given. I pray that you would help us as a church, that we would understand that we glorify you best and most when we fulfill the mission that you've given to us. And help us to understand what that mission is and how each of us is a part of accomplishing it. I pray that you bless us in your word today. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to look with me in 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm putting these verses on the screens again, although I hope you're looking at them in your Bible as well, if you can kind of multitask as we go. And these verses are serving as a reminder to us for some of the structure that the Lord has ordained for the church. And so you'll remember as we read this last week and the week before, made the note that this is Peter who is writing, and he says at the beginning of it, I exhort the elders among you. So among us there are elders, and Peter is exhorting them, and he does so as a fellow elder. He doesn't do so as an apostle, although he is an apostle. But he does so, and I want to make a note of that a little bit later in the message, but I want you to think about that, that Peter says, I'm your fellow elder, and I am also a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And then he says to these elders, he gives to them this work, this, this picture, that he says these elders are shepherding the flock of God. And so he's drawing attention to the fact that we, the church, we who compose this local church, that God considers us his flock. And that there are men among us who do the work of shepherding the flock. And they do so, notice how they shepherd the flock, by exercising oversight. And so the first work, the major work of the shepherd, is that they are overseeing the flock. The work that God is doing in the flock, and they are to do so. Notice as he draws these contrasts, he says, I don't want these elders to do it under compulsion, but I want them to do it willingly. He says, that's the way God would have you do it. 
God would have the elders lead the congregation, not by some act of compulsion or some mandatoriness. No, it is rather a willing spirit. It is a calling of God that God places upon them, and so it becomes a desire. And, and, and he says these elders are to lead, do the oversight, not for <coughs> excuse me, shameful gain. Now that adjective, shameful, the gain becomes shameful when it is for that reason. So the gain itself, there's nothing wrong with a pastor. The Bible says it, a laborer is worthy of his hire. So a pastor receives a salary. Not all lay elders do, obviously. But there's nothing wrong with financial gain. It has only become shameful when the work is done for it. When it is done for it. Then it becomes shameful. And to be done eagerly or zealously. And then he says, when you do it, don't do it in a way that is domineering over those who are in your charge. Notice that word charge. That Greek word charge there is the word for an inheritance or a lot. Most of the times it is simply translated to draw a straw or to have a lot. And he's saying, you are given by God an inheritance. And that is the flock of God that we are to shepherd. And they are our charge. We're not to do it in a domineering way, but rather as an example to the flock. A life that is an example. And then he says, when the chief shepherd appears, you, he's talking to the elders, will receive the unfading crown of glory. And then he says, likewise, you who are younger, be in submission to the elders. And then he says, all of you, every one of you, clothe yourselves, wear this garment, this garment of humility toward one another. For God opposes proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We talked about that last week. We'll make mention of it again now, a little bit later in the message, that the garment that all of us wants to wear, God wants us to wear, is the garment of humility. And it doesn't matter what structure you have, it doesn't matter how a church is organized, if people and leadership or walking in pride, it's going to turn into a train wreck. But if people walk in humility with one another, and we relate to one another in humility, then God uses that humility and that servant spirit to grow us as a body for His glory. And so this whole thing becomes about humility. Now that's the text that we're going through. We're going to allude to it a little bit later, but I want us to think about this thing that we're talking about, which is structure. We talked about Ephesians chapter 4, and that God gives gifts in the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. We talked about that last week. We're not going to go back into it. But I want us to think we are talking about structure. And that's important we think about this idea of structure. So that as we think about the leadership of the church and the ministries of the church, we are thinking about structure that God has ordained. He has done so in His Word. And this is a means by which Christ, who is the head of the church, can get his way in the church. When we think about church government, when we think about the way things are done in a church, the way things are done in a church is not to ensure that I can get my way in this church, or you can get your way in this church. That's not what this is about. What this is about is a means by which Christ can get his way in his church. And so God has ordained a structure 
in a fallen world where there are no perfect people, there are no perfect leaders, and there are no perfect congregants. So God has ordained a means of checks and balances by which God can get his way in his church. That's what we're talking about. Today I want to talk about two things within the church. I want to talk about the teams within the church, and I want to talk about the leaders of those teams, and I want to talk about the leaders who are over those teams. What I want us to think about today is that in this church, in this ministry, in this local church, there's the big thing we call the church, and out of that church, there are multiple ministries. Let's call them teams. And over those teams, whatever they will be, and we'll mention some of them later, there's going to be a lot of people that are doing the work, and there's a leader. And then there's leaders here who are overseeing those teams. And for us to work together teams and a unit to the glory of God, certain things have to happen. And these are the issues that I want us to think about today. And so I want to think about the teams, and I want us to think about leadership. We're going to talk about leadership quite a bit here. You could be a leader in this church. You may be just a leader in the community. You may be a leader in your business whatever the case. So I think there's some things here that we can glean just in ideas of leadership as well. I want us to think about leadership, what leadership is, why leadership is important, how everything really rises and falls on leadership. Things founder when there is not good leadership. So let's think about it. Let's think about eldership for a minute. We mentioned eldership in 1 Peter chapter 5. And I want us to think about this word elder. It's a very important word that God has chosen when he has laid out leadership within a local church. We don't have the time to do it today, but if we went through the qualifications as given in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, I think you would bear witness with me that in essence, if we summarized all those things, it would come down to this reality. This is a man, this is an individual who is walking in spiritual maturity. He is not perfect. There are no perfect people outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he is spiritually mature. He has wisdom. He has walked with the Lord long enough that he has discernment and maturity. And that becomes a platform from which he can serve the church and be an example to the church. You'll remember in 1 Peter 5, he is not to domineer the flock, he is to what? Be an example. He is an example to the flock. And so he is an example of spiritual maturity. Not everyone who is an elder serves in the position of elder or let's just say the office of elder. But everyone who serves in the office of elder 
by necessity is an elder. So not every person in here who is older serves in the position of an elder in the church. It's not everyone's calling. It's not everyone's gifting. There is specific gifting. So not everyone who is an elder in age serves in the office of elder. However, everyone who serves in the office of elder by necessity is an elder. He's older. He has maturity. He has wisdom. He has discernment. It's not a young man's sport, in other words. There's other sports that are for young men. Not this position in the church. That's what we're getting at when we say it. It doesn't mean he's old and decrepit. It just means he is elder in that he has walked with the Lord. He has become spiritually mature. He knows the word. He knows his calling. He knows people. And he knows how to work. He knows how to do these things. Now let's think about our core concern again. This is very quick. Let's go. Does everybody know our purpose? We've talked about this for three weeks in a row because I want us to get it. Does everyone here know our purpose? What is our purpose? We are here for God and for his glory. Okay? That is the purpose of the church. These two statements are related. One is bigger than the other, but this is very important we get. That's why I keep going back to it. It's my talking point over the next weeks. Our purpose as a church. It's not that we're just a philanthropic organization. It's not that we're here just to create, you know, good relations in the community and to be friendly. That's not our purpose. Although all those things should be true, our purpose is we are here for God's glory. That is why we are here. That is our purpose. Do we know our mission? What is our mission? The two are related. Our purpose is bigger. The mission is what we are actually aiming at, what we are seeking to accomplish. How do we glorify God? By fulfilling the mission that he has given us. What's the mission he gave to us? Go into all the world and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things. And so our mission, you'll remember this, is building people for the glory of God. We are here to disciple people. That is the mission that God has given to us. It's important we know those two things. We are to stay on mission. It is so easy to get sidetracked and to go down various roads of pursuit in life. Everything that we do as a church, every ministry we get involved in, its core purpose is to glorify God, and its mission is to build people. All those things that we do, we're going to think about some of them in a few minutes. The laws of combat. You say, why are we talking about combat in church? Hopefully it's not like combat when you come here trying to get a seat. Or a parking place. It's interesting how many ways the military and church are similar. Now there's marked differences, but there are many similarities. I've been reading a book that Ben actually um, put me on to, Ben Weeks, one of our one of our elders. Excellent books written by two guys who are former Navy SEALs on leadership. Uh, one is called Extreme Ownership, and one is called The Dichotomy of Leadership. And subtitle to Extreme Ownership is How U.S. Navy SEALs Win. And it deals with leadership issues, 
and planning issues, team issues. And I want to take some of these things and talk to you about them for a few minutes this morning. But basically, what they say is there are four things that happen that are the laws of combat that help us understand some things in church. Now, this one is going to seem obscure to you. I will explain it in a minute because it's the one we're going to talk about today. First one is cover and move. You get in a fight, you cover and you move. Secondly, keep it simple. In combat, if you have this in-depth plan of what you got to do when things start happening and bullets start flying, everybody forgets the plan. Why? Because it's too complex. So what do you do? You keep it simple, stupid. I want to stress that to us as a church so many times. Because we have people on all different levels, coming from many different backgrounds, when we make a plan and we are setting out to accomplish something, we're going to keep it simple. Because it has to be able to be duplicated by many volunteers in many different ways. So you keep it simple. Third thing, prioritize and execute. Last one is decentralized command. These three we're not talking about today. You can put them in your hat and remember them. We'll probably talk about them again. I want to talk about cover and move because this is very important when we think about teams. This church is composed of many different teams. It's also composed of some people who only come Sunday morning. We get that. Maybe you're new to the church. Maybe you're a snowbird and you haven't figured out your place here. So we get that there's some of you, there's many of you, that aren't really on a team. We want to get you on teams. We don't want you just sitting in the pew on a Sunday morning. We want you involved in ministry. We want you finding a place to serve. We want you a part of things. So this church is composed of many different teams. And I want to think about these teams, because one of the things they talk about in this book, Extreme Ownership, is about U.S. Navy SEALs. They work as what? Teams. They're teams. Let's think about some things that he talks about. What is cover and move? Put simply, cover and move means teamwork. All elements within the greater team are crucial, and they must work together to accomplish the mission. In other words, one Navy SEAL ain't going to get it done. What's going to get it done? The team. And they got to work together. If they don't work together, somebody's going to get killed. they got to work together to accomplish a mission mutually, notice this phrase, I want to come back to it again, mutually supporting one another for the singular purpose. If they forsake this principle and they operate independently or they work against each other, the results can be catastrophic. So the Navy SEALs are taught what? You are a part of a team. And you must work together You must mutually support one another as you cover and move. Now, basically what this is, is this concept of leapfrog. You'll notice that if you ever watch something on television or on, you know, one of the docudramas about Navy SEALs, when they operate, when they move, a part of the team is moving and a part of the team is doing what? Covering. There's an overwatch, there's cover, 
People are watching, covering someone else's back. Somebody's moving, somebody's covering. They leapfrog as parts of a team. Someone is always covering other people's backs. Someone is in the moving. When someone is exposed to fire, when someone puts themselves out in harm's way and is exposed to fire, then everybody else on the team has what? Their back. Amen. You don't send them out like David sent Uriah out. You cover each other's back. This is what it means to be a part of a team. Now notice this. Within any team, this happens in church, there are divisions that arise. It happens in the Navy SEALs. Often, when smaller teams within the team get so focused on their immediate task, they forget about what other teams are doing or how they depend on the other teams. They may start to compete with one another. And when there are obstacles, what happens? Animosity and blame. Cover and move then means three things. Number one, it is leapfrogging movement internally within the tactical team unit as well as within the larger unit. When one portion is moving, the other covers. When someone is exposed to danger, someone has his back. Leave no one behind. That's the whole principles, right? Think about how many times, sad to say, in the church of Jesus Christ, we shoot our wounded. Or someone exposes themselves in harm's way and it does not go well and everybody on their team turns on them and feeds on them. We have chickens. Chickens are horrible animals. I mean, they are. The other night, Amy, last night, Amy fed the chickens out. We had some leftover stuff, and she fed them all this leftover greens. This one chicken got one scrap that everybody else wanted. And she's running around in front of the barn with this thing in her mouth, not able to eat it and enjoy it, because every other chicken was trying to attack her to get what she had. And then they started picking on her and jumping. We had to go and, I mean, it was like save the chicken. Amy and I were out there saving the chicken. How many times does that kind of baloney happen within teams in the local church? Cover and move. So it's leapfrogging movement. Secondly, it's mutually supporting teams. Mutually supporting teams with an eye on the goal. Now, think about teams within the church. We have things like Crossroads, we have a nursery, we have Awana, we have Children's Church, we have Cowboy Church, we have hospitality concerns, we have small groups, we have missions, we have various Bible studies, we do outreach events, we've got the Billy Graham Evangelistic Crusade that's coming up, we're looking forward to that night at Falls, it's going to be a great outreach event, we've got various prayer groups, we've got the worship service, within the worship service we have various teams... We have the music people, we have the sound people, we have the video people, we got usher teams, we got greeters. Big team, little teams. Mutually supporting each other to accomplish a single mission. Cowboy Church is not in competition with a Wana Club. It's easy to forget sometimes that this ministry is a part of the bigger 
And we are working together as a team in little teams, mutually supporting one another to accomplish one thing, and that is to build people for the glory of God. And so these are teams within the church. For our teams to function in mutually supporting ways, it takes good leadership at every level. And then it requires every member of the team functioning as a part of the unit and as a part of the whole. You're part of the whole as well as the unit. You're not just in a Awana club, you're part of the church. And then you're part of the church, but you're also in a Awana club. And we mutually support as we work together to seek one purpose and one mission. You know, there are spirits that foster division and undermine morale. There is nothing that destroys morale like two spirits in a group. Those two spirits are these things. Number one is a critical spirit. Number two is a competitive spirit. I'm going to say that every one of us is prone to these, but probably you are prone to one of them in a greater degree than another. You're either really competitive or you tend to be very critical. As you analyze yourself, those spirits, you know, when you're a part of a team and you're critical and you're cutting things down all the time, I'm not saying that you're not constructively trying to help and analyze, but when you become overly critical of either leadership or other people in your team, it destroys morale and it creates division. Same with competitiveness. Now, I'm not asking you all to be, you know, like no zeal and wanting to get ahead. No, I mean, the Apostle Paul was competitive in a way because he said, you know, I beat down my body and I, and I work hard. I run diligently so that I will not be disqualified. He was a very competitive individual in many ways, but not against other people, against himself and against his flesh. Four types of leaders. Kyle Lamb in his book Leadership in the Shadows mentions this. I want to mention them to you quickly today. Because I think it's good for you to think about four types of leaders. There are out there great leaders. A great leader is a person who understands, first of all, the mission, and then he knows how to motivate the team. That's a great leader. He can accomplish the mission because he knows what the mission is and he keeps it focused and he can motivate the team to get there. I don't care what part of life you're thinking about. We want to be great leaders for the glory of God. We don't start out as great leaders. There are many people who are good leaders. They are growing in skills they, as they pursue the mission and they motivate the team. There are also out there bad leaders. Bad leaders are people who think they're great leaders. We're good leaders, and yet they have no idea how to move the team towards its objective, and all they do is alienate people. That's bad leadership. And then there's lastly, dangerous leaders. Kyle Lamb is writing from the viewpoint, again, of special forces. He talks about dangerous leaders in the, militaries. in the military. These are the guys that get people killed. Why? Because they're the people that are in it for themselves. They're in it there for promotion. They're in it there to pat themselves on the back for various reasons. These dangerous leaders are people who are not good for the organization. They're not good for the church. I'm not going to 
take time with that. Let's think about some motivators today. You can be in leadership or a part of a team for various reasons. Peter talks about many of them. We can do things for the applause of men. Sometimes we do things for power and authority. Sometimes we do things for financial compensation. Peter talked about that. We could do it for a feeling of personal satisfaction. All those things are less than stellar motivators. We should and can do things for the glory of God and out of a sense of calling. A sense of calling. I want us to think about some principles that Peter mentions in 1 Peter. I want us to think about leadership in Christ's church and what it is not about as well as what it is about. Peter mentions these in 1 Peter chapter 5, and the first thing that I want us to think about is leadership in Christ's church is not about position. It's about what? The posture of humility, being a servant. Jesus modeled that. I think it's very intriguing, I mentioned this, that the Apostle Peter does not say to these people, I am an apostle. He says, I am a what? Fellow elder. It wasn't about his position to him. That's not what was important. What was important to him was this idea of humility in leadership, bringing people along. The Apostle Peter was a humble man who served Christ, not himself. And so the position is not what is important. It is this posture of humility within the church. Second thing, it's not about personality in the church. It's about plurality. It is elders. He talks about fellow elders. It's not just about a personality cult. Churches that are built on personality cults are weak churches. Churches that are built on the giftedness of many men and women within the congregation are strong churches. It's not about personality. Last thing, it's not about the personal compensation package. It's about personal responsibility. He says you don't do it. You don't do it for shameful gain. You do it, what? Willingly. You do it out of a heart. You do it out of a sense of calling. So it is not about a personal compensation package. It is about personal responsibility. Within any organization, there are various types of leaders. It's true in the church. I've read an excellent book this winter written by a guy about the admirals that were in the Navy in the Second World War. These men who were extremely highly gifted men, highly gifted leaders, who were able to galvanize a war effort towards victory. They were able to turn around almost certain defeat at the hands of Japan when they came in at Pearl Harbor and knocked us out of the sea with only a few aircraft carriers left and virtually nothing else in the Pacific. And they were able to take that by the grace of God and turn it around and take the lowest morale that the Navy had ever had and come back and win the day. 
the, the, the men who were the admirals at the Navy, in the Navy at that time were very different types of leaders. It wasn't about their personality. It was about the plurality within that and the different gifts that they had. He said in his book, this is interesting, I'll draw your attention to it. Each of the fleet admirals had the ability to make men admire them for one, one way or another. Now, there again, he's talking in the world. We're not just talking about the church. It's not like it's admiring people. It's not like you admire your elders in that sense. But this is something that was true of them. They had an ability to make men admire them one way or another, but far more than instilling admiration alone, each in quite different ways possessed, now notice this, this is an interesting way to think about leadership, a commanding presence that engendered commitment and resolve toward a common purpose. These were men who were able to lead other men in a way that they engendered commitment towards a common purpose. They all did it very different way. Admiral King demonstrated it by bluster and verve. Chester Nimitz, by putting his hand on your shoulder and saying, let's get this thing done. Bull Halsey, still the fullback, by rushing through the line in such a way that everyone on the team wanted to go through with him. And Leahy, by never letting his own personal feelings or those of others interfere with the long-range objectives and the best interests of his country. And so what you see there, these were very different men, and they led in very different ways. But they all led in a way that they were able to unite the Navy in a common purpose. And that's why there's plurality in leadership. Because no single person leads exactly the same way. What's our goal? Why are we doing this? Why are we taking time to think about these things with teams and leaders? Because many of you are leaders of various teams, mutually supporting one another. Why are we taking the time to do this? Our goal is to foster a culture within this church that focuses on building exceptional teams that mutually support each other as we pursue the mission and fulfill our purpose. Our goal is to have a culture where we are focusing on building exceptional teams. If you work in a wanna club, we want you to do it well. We want to accomplish a mission for the glory of God. You teach a small group, we want you to do it well for the glory of God as a part of the bigger picture. Building people for the glory of God. We want to build exceptional teams that mutually support each other, not just our own interest, but each other, while we pursue the mission and we fulfill our purpose, which is building people for the glory of God. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the time that we can take and think about various aspects of leadership, think about your church here. I pray that, Lord, as we think together and we study, that you would help us to get the big picture, that we would understand 
the structure that you have ordained in your church. I thank you, Lord, for the elders among us that you have raised up here to lead your church. I thank you for each leader of various aspects of this ministry. We pray that you would help them, that, Father, they would lead for your glory to accomplish this mission. Help us, Lord, to do a job that that is worthy of who you are, that we would seek to glorify you in all that we do. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.